Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Yo, what's up, guys? You like our podcast? You want to make your own? You have all the power, all the resources you need to make your own podcast. That's right. If you haven't heard about Anchor by Spotify, let me give you a rundown. Basically, it's the easiest way to make a podcast with everything you need all in one place. And here's how it works. Anchor lets you record and edit podcasts right from your phone or your computer. So no matter what your setup is like, you can start creating today. Then you can distribute your podcast to the most popular listening platforms, including Spotify with a single tap. Anchor is also the only place you can publish video podcasts to Spotify, which is super important. With Anchor, creators can earn money in a variety of ways, including ads and podcast subscriptions. That's right. And best of all, Anchor is totally free. So download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. That is anchor.fm to get started. It's what we use. We get a little kickback from it, and we appreciate it. So if you guys want your own podcast, go to anchor.fm to get started. Peace. Welcome to the Anatomy of Marriage podcast. I'm your host, Melanie Studley. Hello, my name is Seth Studley. I am a licensed marriage and family therapist. Thank you for joining us today. We are here to talk about the re-release of Season 1, Episode 3, Who Taught You to Hold a Knife Like That? Yes, and if you're new here, welcome. We have over 300 episodes about all things marriage and family related because we needed real help for real couples because we're a real couple and we love you and we're (laughs) glad you're here. (laughs) We did, and we make the show that we wish we had when we were going through this stuff. That's right. So thank you for joining us. If you've already listened to season one, we highly encourage you to listen to it again, because even though we made the show and were the main part of the show, I listen back to it and find new bits of mm-hmm. insights, new wisdoms and stuff. So if you haven't listened to it, or if you have, go listen to it again, and then come back for our follow-up and recap Mm -hmm. of what we've learned. Yeah. And before we dive into the episode, I want to remind you that you can get the workbook that accompanies this season one episode by visiting anatomyofmarriage.com. And there's a workbook button. It's just at the top of the page there in bright orange. Can't miss it. Um, And it's the workbook. Literally, it's like 80 something pages, but it's really fun, Mm -hmm. easy to go through, but really helpful. So please go get that workbook. Um, Download that. It's only 25 bucks, 24 bucks. It's going to change your marriage. Seriously. And it's fun. Will. Do, so. It really will. If your heart and head is in it, then it will absolutely change your marriage. Trust me, we wrote it, we lived it, we talked about it. Okay, we're so. just going to dive into the show now. Right. Enjoy episode number three. Today's episode is all about differences. So when I think of differences, I think of this is the three of us again. Me, my husband, Seth, and our producer, Matt Carter. Cultural differences. Mm-hmm. Uh, but what's that list like? Biopsychosocial, Im- spiritual, or something? Biopsychosocial, spiritual. Yeah. Here it comes, guys. Time to get clinical. So, in the biopsychosocial spiritual model, bio is referring to your biology, or like your physical body. Psycho is referring to the psychological aspects of a person, so your mind. Social obviously means the social stuff, and spiritual means the spiritual stuff. 
The main idea behind this model is that these aspects and areas of our lives are all interconnected, and therapists recognize the importance of whole-person care. They take into account things like someone's physical or medical conditions, emotional or psychological state, their socioeconomic, sociocultural, and sociopolitical status, as well as their spiritual needs and concerns. These factors aren't just sort of important. They are life-impacting issues and topics that you 100% cannot ignore. It's all connected, so you can't really just swap out the bits that you don't like or agree with. So one of the one of the fights is, you know, uh, you did not marry your clone. Claudia Grovgrounds is going to help shed a little bit more light on the biological aspects of relationships. You'll recognize her from last week's episode. And today, she's talking about her upcoming book titled, We've Had This Fight Before and the way that our biological differences can shape our marriages. We have different biology. Why can't you be more like me? Why can't you respond like me? Why can't you need the amount of sleep I need? Why can't you socialize like I am? Mm -hmm. So that biological part of us is something that we can't really compromise. Mm -hmm. So, for example, a good example I use for my husband and I is when we first were dating, like I'm hypoglycemic and mm. I need to eat every few hours or I get yeah. really, really cranky. Yeah, just like my wife. <laughs> <laughs> um, not funny. I heard that. So yeah, yeah, you get that. And at first, and my husband can go for hours and not eat and he'll be like totally fine. Mm-hmm. So um, over what I found out over a period of time, I'd get cranky, whatever. And then when we'd go out on dates, he would start saying, hey... Hey, did you bring some nuts or some things to eat? You want to stop by the store and get something to eat? You know, mm-hmm. he started paying attention to my biological needs. Mm-hmm. They weren't his. Yeah. But because he cared for me, he made room in our relationship sure. to care about my biological mm-hmm. needs. And that would be true for me too. What are your biological needs? What are his biological needs? It could be sexual, it could be socializing, it could be foods you like and don't like. I mean, there's a lot of different ways where how much sleep you need. Mm-hmm. That you can't always compromise those things. You have to make room. You actually have to grow yourself enough to make room for the other person. Yeah. And most couples kind of don't get that. Mm. That they kind of jockey for or compete for this is the right biology. This is the the you know, this is the expectation. We're supposed to sleep in the bed in the same amount of time or something. Yeah. And those expectations get, get up when I get up or perf- you know, be able to perform or th- think through things at a certain time of day. Mm-hmm. Which is different than your partner is. Yeah. So biology comes through all the time, and very few premarital counseling programs pay attention to biology in a couple mm-hmm. relationship, and yet it's pretty central yeah. to who we are. Now on to the psychological aspects of a person. And this part gets sort of tricky and feels a little bit messy because just like in last week's episode with Nicole and Charlie, where we talked about family of origin versus culture and the use of instruments in church, the psychological facets of people are equally as complex and have crossover like you wouldn't believe. And so for this story, we're trying to keep it all in the psychological realm, but it definitely begins to lean toward the social side a bit. But hang in there. So here is a familiar friend to talk to you about the way that psychological differences between he and his wife can cause a little bit of tension every now and then. I mean, I would say that that when it comes to two people being alike and compatible... You guessed it. That's our producer, Matt. If you just looked at the way that my wife and I are, what our core personality types are or anything like that, it, it couldn't be more different. From my point of view, and maybe everybody feels that way, but I really feel like we're on opposite ends of almost everything. Well, Bridget is uh, particular and strict and discipline oriented, and I make everything up as you go. There's no right and wrong. 
So she's more structured and you're more permissive and open? Well, when diagnosed in a personality type, it comes up high on moral uh, for her. For instance, she thinks it's absolutely right and wrong. Um, Everything's black and white or almost right and wrong. Like what you do in traffic, you do this if that happens. If somebody blows the horn or you blow the horn and somebody does this, that that person's totally wrong no matter what. There's absolute procedures for exactly. It's not a matter of preference where the fork goes in the dishwasher. Now, the vast differences between Matt and Bridget's psychological makeup is nothing new to them. In fact, in our premarital counseling, we did at a church, and one of the things that the counselor did is to give you an academic uh, kind of compatibility personality type assessment for marriages, and it's it's used in the secular world. And he made sure after we took it to tell us, now listen, this is secular, this is not Christian, and it doesn't include God or the Holy Spirit. But you guys had like the lowest score I've ever seen. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, so how how long had you been together at that point? Like six or seven years. What did you breaking m- up and being together and all right. that, everything. What did you make of that? I, I mean, I know that. Like that's <laughs> I, I knew that was the case. But what are you supposed to do? We are just fundamentally different in the way that we view everything and see things. It's just t- completely different. Put it this way. She has one million preferences. There's a million things she could write down that she thinks this is the way this has to be. And I have a list of maybe five general things. And, and, and I think you can do whatever you want to. And you figure stuff out. And whatever is working works. And you can do it any way you want to. And she thinks there's a million things and they all have to be done this way. So this conflict is constant. Whether it be the, the way to respond to our daughter and the situation and the global, what we're going to do spiritually for our life family plan or how to load the dishwasher but either one is could be an absolute perilous endeavor and most of them are feel to me just as i'm receiving them as criticism because i'm doing something that she genuinely believes is wrong so understanding that about her and understanding yourself do you feel that you usually are along for the ride it's the only choice from my point of view we were able to work through that after you know i don't know Six or seven years or so. No, I mean, what, every so? morning I go, Seth, you should have closed Hattie's blinds. Right, Seth, yeah, that, you should have put the shoes here. Why are they in here? So when I heard episode one and was listening to Susie's story, it gave me really good insight into how Bridget must feel because she says the thing about the car seat in that episode and things like that. And I'm thinking that's something I would say, well, this doesn't matter. I'm going to do it a different way and this will totally work or it doesn't matter. And she is most certainly perceiving my uh, violations of her preference code as me not caring about her or our family. I understand that. It's like Les Parrott said, it's neglect. So here's a little rewind to episode one. Perceived threat, perceived neglect. Doesn't that be reality? Perceived neglect. Yeah, because that's how I feel when you like, I'm pointing at Seth right now. You know, you put tough shoes away in the wrong spot. And I'm like, he doesn't care. Mm -hmm. I do all of this and he doesn't care. What I believe is my creativity, she views as an uncaring violation of our family. (laughs) You're creative. That's the way I feel about it. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So a quick bit of clarification here. Not all threats and neglect are created equally. And certainly not all of them are just perceived. Some are very, very real. Like in Susie's story, it is an actual threat to the safety of a two-year-old to put them in a booster seat and not in the five-point harness car seat. And her husband was also truly neglecting her wishes by saying that it didn't matter. 
This is not the same thing that Bridget and Matt experience when she is interpreting his undesirable behavior as being neglectful of her needs. So those things are totally, totally different. Just want to make sure you know that. So I think like once couples identify this stuff, it's either like, okay, we can continue to let this go and resentment and, you know, other conflicts will build. Or you can say, you know, she or he is not doing this on purpose. I'm not leaving, you know, a kid's shoes there because I think I don't care. It's just I don't think that way. Yeah, I find myself often having to say, do do you think that I don't care? I mean, do you think why would I do this? Do you think this is a personal attack? You think I'm doing this to harm you? Is that do you, right. do you think I would do that? So I'm, right. I'm looking for her. Uh, I'm trying to make a, an appeal to her that don't you understand that I'm doing things the best way that I think they ought to be done mm-hmm. because I do care. That That's usually what's going on. Let's it's, figure that out then because I agree with that. When Seth doesn't do something that I've said, okay, w- this is how we do it from now on. It's like he doesn't care. Do you think that I came up with a list of the 10, 10 ways to do it the worst to the best and chose uh, number four worst way. Is that what is that how I decided to solve this problem? And we actually know that research bears that out, that when you feel that way in your relationship, you can count on that there's conflict. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And do you think of that um, as a lack of intentionality or do people just not not know what to do sometimes? No, I don't think it's necessarily intentionality. I think it's a lack of skills. Mm-hmm. It's, a, a, it's traveling at the speed of life. Life is busy. Um, people don't uh, budget time for their marriage. Yeah. Um, but usually it's, you know, a blind thing. You know, it's just a part of myself I don't know and haven't owned. Oh, no, no, no. Okay, so we covered the biological. We covered the psychological. Now we are on to the social and the spiritual. But we're going to kind of mix these two together because stemming from both of these two topics, social and spiritual, you get the topic of culture which played a very big role in our marriage. Let's start off with like a really interesting bit of parallels that like we have in our marriage compared to to Matt and Bridget. You mean parallels? Parallels. (laughs) Matt and I are both from the South. We moved out here. You and Bridget are clearly from Seattle and have Seattle culture, Northwest, West Coast culture. And we, at least in, in, in my, from my family of origin, I had a real idea and like expectations of what marriage should be it's probably different from yours you know maybe there's some similarities but you know both being from the south growing up in the exact same area the difference in the the south and the east coast and the west coast seems to be a profound one in the way marriage works culturally as far as the expectations of women and men i I find very profound i think that's i think it's a big deal in your marriage and mine in what ways is it profound i honestly don't it's hard for me to I just don't see it. I don't think about where, it. Where Seth and I are from, and this isn't family of origin, is cultural. Um, the In the Deep South, women are, in general, um, very concerned with appearing... As if they have it together. As if they have it together and supportive of their husband and their role as woman and mother. And the men, in general, are concerned with being strong and also charming. Those are the two things that I don't notice on the West Coast. And so if, if my wife is at a part, if we're at a party and she's cold to me or just disinterested, uh, I feel like, well, aren't you supposed to play this part mm-hmm. of, of making us feel good and look good and supporting me here? And she's like, I don't know. I'm not interested in talking to those people. <laughs> and I say, oh, it would be help. And I, and I have to question that assumption of whatever. And I, and I have the same problem sometimes when I meet men and heads of households in 
on the West Coast or in, in other in the Midwest, I think it's the same way. And they they have no personality. They're just calm, like, "Hey, my name is Mike. What do you want me to do?" Right. And I'm like, "You're supposed to be like the dad. You're supposed to be gregarious and tough. That's what you're right. supposed to do, right? Like the host. Like, yeah, hey, let right. me get you this. Oh, yeah. You know how's how's it you going? You're supposed to make a joke. You have to be strong. Be, you know that that's just what I'm used to. And so when I meet a a dad in the Pacific Northwest, let's say, and just says, "Hey, uh, you say I'm." Matt and he goes, well, I'm Steve. I don't know. Like, <laughs> and when the check comes, is it going to him? He doesn't know. He doesn't care. Like he's not. He doesn't. He doesn't have that authoritarian right. thing balanced with charm. That's. And I think it's a big, big difference. And so I don't know that Brid- Bridget appreciates what that I do that because uh, it doesn't fit her paradigm either. Huh. Well, when when we have parties here and stuff, like I I like playing the host. You know, mm-hmm. like hey, let me get you this and up. And Melanie's just doing nothing. Yeah, I suck. Yeah. <laughs> no, yeah, really. Yeah, right. When I come to your house. Yeah, you know, talking to my friends, I'm awful. Yeah, so for instance, when I come to your house for a party, I'll often notice Seth cooking and cleaning, and you may be sitting somewhere else talking to maybe some somebody else. It's my time off. Yeah, I understand <laughs> okay. that you feel that yeah. way, but that would have always and does and early on did bother me in uh, my marriage that my wife would be that way too. Mm. So Seth has undergone a big change that, He's moved to the West Coast, married somebody, and now they have parties and entertaining, and he's cooking and cleaning. That that is seems off to me. It seems like was well, wife. Does, what does she not care? <laughs> that, that is she not a good wife? That's a, that's the kind of baseline assumptions that we have culturally. And 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 as soon as I question them, I realize they're they're sexist in nature and, and weird, and they're just a set of preferences as well. But they're in, they're ingrained culturally, and that is always my impulse. Yeah. So does that? Do you think that that? has uh, real time and real life implications in your marriage like on a daily basis absolutely in what ways does that surface or whatever when I perform chores I feel like I deserve to be rewarded <laughs> rewarded in you know verbal acknowledgement probably Just, I, pat on you the see back what I did I'm the dad I'm the guy and I did the dishes so do you feel that way Seth I, you know I used to but my spirit has been broken and I right. expect nothing <laughs> So Seth and I are different culturally, for sure, but we're still from the same country. So there's a lot of ways that we're very similar. The distance between where I'm from and where he's from is 3,000 miles, but we speak the same language, use the same currency, and stuff like that. But we wanted to figure out what happens when that's not the case. The main difference is geographic location and the culture at each place. Meet Ale. We met just before Agnes was leaving to Indonesia. And his lovely wife, Agnes. Oh, yeah, yeah, perfect. So we didn't even have time to assess what were the difficulties. I think it became very natural. It started as a, as a friendship, an instantaneous friendship, I, I think. Mm-hmm. And it's only later when she went to Indonesia and then I, I ran after her, let's say, that it became more uh, our cultural differences arise. Agnes and Ale are from two very different parts of the world. And while Agnes is from Indonesia, culturally she also is a Chinese descendant. While Ale is from Spaniard. I met Agnes while I was in community college studying photography. She was my very first international friend. A handful of years later, I met Ale at their wedding in Spain. Yeah, I met them in Spain. You heard me right. I had the incredible honor of singing in their ceremony, which took place in a 500-year-old cathedral in Spain. It was unbelievable. 
So I did my best, as any self-respecting, pretend journalist would do, to get Agnes and Ale to tell me like the nitty-gritty stuff about being so totally culturally different. I mean, come on, let's count the ways. Their primary languages are very different from one another. Ale speaks Spanish, and Agnes speaks Indonesian. So when they talk to one another, they are both speaking a secondary language all the time. So he teaches at the university, and I work in a post-production advertising company. So he speaks very formal, and I speak very informal. I, it's, a, it's a natural thing for me to speak English, but when I'm really tired at night after I work, like my brain just shut down, like, and I, I, I'd rather read than listen. For some time, I was wondering whether I would be comfortable speaking in English all my life because there is some intimate language that I have in Spanish that I could not express so well. Even if I could make jokes, there is this little grain where you are really yourself and you can actually master yourself that I could not share. But the truth is that it itself, that hardship vanished in time because after some time you create your own private language and then... It doesn't matter what some words mean in English. Okay, so so I guess they, they kind of solve the language problem, but well, c- there's got to be something. Culturally, it's more about like the living style. Aha, I knew I'd figure it out. Because I am very germphobic. In my family, we have sandals for the inside of the house and we have sandals inside the bedroom. And we have clothing for our, in the living room, and then we have clothing for the for the bed. So we don't mix everything, and for Ali, everything is the same. We have like different ideas of what is clean and dirty. Well, come on, Agnes, everybody fights about that. Well, I'll ask them about it, see what they say. That'll get them. Do you guys fight about those things? Yes. Yes. Well, that didn't work. Okay, well, something's got to give. I mean, they are literally from places that are 11,000 miles away from each other. How could they not be different? I think we're not so culturally different, let me say, in the sense that the bound we have, and I think it's through religion partially, through Catholic religion, makes us have a certain common ground of understanding. And that is a, that is a big uh, plus for us. I think that helped a lot. What would you say would be advice for couples if there's a couple dating right now that are very different culturally and want to get married what advice would you give them good luck <laughs> i would say that they have to make a, an additional effort to make those cultural differences explicit so they cannot assume that those differences are noticed by the other person or that the differences will vanish naturally because it may not happen so the best is to try to realize what are those differences and put them together in conversation. So from my side of things, that's Seth and I in the car again. So for the first, like, three years of our marriage I tried so hard to be like what you wanted I just like what do you how do you want me to dress how do you want me to cut my hair how do you want me to like what jewelry do you want to wear I mean you've heard me say that a billion times and that was all out of this desire to like I am not good I'm not right like it's obvious that Seth- as I listened through this episode it totally hit me 
In that car ride conversation with Seth, I thought that I felt inadequate and that who I was wasn't enough for him. But what it really was, was that Seth and I were completely ill-equipped to understand that two people can be biologically, psychologically, socially, spiritually, culturally different and still get along. I don't need to be exactly like Seth for him to accept me and vice versa. But that's really hard when you're a young wife and your husband says things like, aren't you worried what people will think about that shirt? Or are you really going to wear that? Or my favorite one that he said this one time when we were at a restaurant was, aren't you embarrassed by the way that you eat? Hmm. Well, it hadn't crossed my mind before, but I'm sure embarrassed now. And I know I don't usually do this, but I kind of want to get clinical again. Integration, that word. This is Dr. Dan Siegel. Dan Siegel. And uh, I'm a, a person who works in a field called interpersonal neurobiology at the Mindsight Institute in Santa Monica, California. Here we go. Integration, that word, is defined as different things like your left hand and your right hand being different from each other. But then an integrated life means you honor the differences, but you link the functioning of these two different things. And in a relationship, it would be where you and your husband, for example, are different people. You have different histories, different families of origins, different bodies, different everything. But you link together, you respect the differences and you link together in these compassionate, respectful communications that you have. And when you differentiate and link, when you integrate that flow, you create harmony like a choir, you're a singer. So I can say, you know, when you get 10 singers together and you say, let's do a song in, in harmony, let's say they do Amazing Grace, what you have there is differentiating. So they're going at different harmonic intervals, but they're linking. And that differentiation linking literally creates harmony. When you block differentiation, things becoming special or unique, or block linkage, and you can do this in a choir, for example, in a certain way, when you do that, you get either chaos or rigidity. What's interesting about that is it explains almost all of human experience, but also it goes into the brain so that people who have a lot of chaos and rigidity in their life, they have impaired integration in the brain. When people have impaired integration in their relationships, you get chaos or rigidity also. So harmony is like health and chaos or rigidity are blocked health, blocked well-being. The example in the choir is if you were in a choir, Melanie, and we said, okay, all of you are going to plug your ears really, really tightly and belt out a song as loudly as you can, but you couldn't hear anybody else. What would that sound like? Amazing Terrible. <laughs> It'd be terrible. It would be cacophony, right? Yeah. Now, would there be impaired differentiation or impaired linkage when you're blocking your ears? Linkage, I'm guessing. Exactly. Right. So in that case, everybody's differentiated. They can sing whatever they feel like singing. It's like a family that does whatever they want. They never get together for dinner. They're all doing their own thing. So in that, in that one example, you're getting chaos. Now, imagine where you tell the singers you have to sing the same note the same way for like an hour. And it's just blah, 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 like for an hour. So what would be impaired there? Differentiation or linkage? Differentiation. Exactly. So there you're blocking differentiation. You get rigidity, completely predictable. Well, in a couple, you can look at the same thing. So when I do couples therapy, for example, 
I'm always looking for chaos or rigidity. And when it's there in the pattern of a couple's relationship, then you know in that moment there's some aspect of integration that's blocked. Whatever aspect of their lives that's blocking either differentiation or linkage, it's going to create chaos or rigidity. And that's basically where you say the idea of a couple is not to become like a smoothie where they become identical to each other because you've blended them together, but rather to learn how to honor, in fact, thrive on differences. On differences. On differences. On differences. And then with compassionate, respectful communication, promote the linkage. So this is basically the idea of you really want to be a fruit salad, not a smoothie. Oh my goodness. This is totally making so much more sense now. Okay. So although Seth and I are geographically closer and culturally closer than Agnes and Ale, Seth had a smoothie mentality. He wanted me to be like him, like exactly like him, by requiring that I follow his rules, look like his family, and act like a Southerner, while Agnes and Ale... Had fruit smallet smallet. <laughs> I'm leaving that in there. While Agnes and Ale had fruit salad mentalities. They know that they're different, but they accept that they're different. And in fact, they let their differences be good things to one another. Not only that, they use one another's differences as opportunities to grow themselves. That's saying something. Our producer Matt had a pretty interesting idea for how to deal with these kinds of things. There should be criticism cards. If you offer any criticism at all to your spouse, you should start with a deck of 100 cards. And you can criticize freely freely as you want, just act normal. But every time you say something that is a criticism or uh, something intended to correct, corrective in nature, you have to hand the card away. And then see, after a week, where all those cards are. You know, I will have given Bridget three cards per month and I will have received two or three hundred a day. This is the way that I think that would go. And you could measure that across different marriages if you Mm -hmm. did it. Mm -hmm. Some would be 50 50, some would be, well, the woman two to one or whatever. But in our case, it's probably a hundred to one. It's only just for the data points, not that even intended to. Ultimately, I think it would. I think it'd be beneficial. Well, it would bring awareness of like what she's talking about on a daily and how you're receiving it and how that is wearing. Yeah, I think if she knew. I I can't understand. Actually, I was thinking about this this morning. I was thinking about you and Bridget's relationship, not even knowing that we were going to talk about it today. But I was like, how does Matt deal with that level of criticism, constructive and negative, Mm -hmm. like on a daily? Mm -hmm. Like for me... And for, I think, most other guys, you know, with, with different personality types than yourself, it just wears and it, you know, mm-hmm. just grades down, you know, like, how right. do you, how do you, do you, you know, compartmentalize that in a certain way? You're like, whatever. Yeah. Or you do, do yeah, you even yeah. think about it that way? Yeah. I mean, it, it's, uh, it's kind of like, those are her tools for, for dealing with the world. And I, I have to just understand that in a greater sense of acceptance of who she is. So like in the basically. bigger picture of stuff, this is who she is. I love this her. are the tools that I understand that she has. Okay. She doesn't have the other tools or the ones that I may to bring about change. So hers are, I, correct, I would say that's what she's learned. That's what she knows. And that's the way she is. You know, she thinks the same thing about you, right? Matt doesn't have the tools to put the she, shoes in the right spot. I don't, but that's very <laughs> so, true. So yeah. she, she's, when, and most of the stuff she's saying, she's right. But I think the only thing she fails to see is that those are her preferences. They're not absolutes. Right. So when couples can come to that level of understanding, which is a, a fairly high level of functioning. Mm-hmm. Okay. This is the problem. I'm not getting mad. They're not doing this on purpose. I accept, right? Acceptance. So you accept, you accept 
people and especially your wife for what she brings to you, good and bad, on a daily. And it sounds like she has come to that realization, too, of I think so. acceptance. Yeah, I think acceptance is the absolute most wonderful, divine, helpful attribute. I think it's the essence of what the gospel is. So real acceptance of another person is the only thing. It's the only way that we can make it. I think we function at a high level for being so different, and it can only be done through actual, literal, unqualified acceptance of who the other person is. Right. I'm having a really hard time with this episode and not telling you what I think you should do. And the reason I'm having a hard time with it is because I feel like that's what people expect from a marriage podcast. But you know what? If I've learned one thing in the 33 years that I've been alive, it's that one size does not fit all. And I can't tell you what your marriage needs. The only hope that I have is that all of the experts that we talk to and all of the couples that we talk to will give you insight into what you need to do. So yeah, I just wanted to get that off my chest. That's why I'm not summarizing anything. It is intentional. Okay, we're back. So what'd you think of it? Oh, I love that episode so much. I'll tell you a few things that I love about that episode is the music in it. So like (laughs) there is so much good music in it and... One for one, the me that's me singing Ave Maria in yeah, Spain at the wedding. I don't I even was know there. if I said that. The second thing is the harmonies that you hear over Dan Siegel talking about the Amazing um, Grace song. Yeah, that's me. I'm yeah. humming harmonies and doing all these like dissonant pitches and stuff. And I love is, is love, this love, is love this it. just now a big ad for your singing? Yes, hire me at hello at anatomyofmarriage.com. Uh, really <laughs> nice, though, nice try. I'll come and sing at anything. I love right. singing at weddings. But yeah, I loved this episode for so many reasons. Um, music is one of them, but another one, honestly, is it's just so good. There's so many good mm-hmm. things in there, like our friends Agnes and Ale, like their differences and how they work through. And they had, you know, the fruit smoothie or they had the fruit salad mentality right. while we had the fruit smoothie mentality mm-hmm. and just how Dan Siegel laid that all out so beautifully. And hashtag I love Dan Siegel. Right, so. right. So, okay, since you already started talking about Agnes and Ale, our friends, I was listening to them and actually wrote a piece in my notes here. And I couldn't help but thinking as I listened back how mature Mm-hmm. Agnes and Ale were mm-hmm. or are rather yeah. when they got married and with the couples that we talk to and the clients that I see and even in our own early relationship mm-hmm. it's like we were so stupid yes and yeah. and just immature mm-hmm. we were self-centered we were immature and we thought that everything about marriage was to serve us and make us happy, right? And I see that in couples all the time, even couples married five, six, seven, ten years, and sometimes that creeps back in our marriage, Mm -hmm. but you really have to level out with yourself and say, do I just need to grow up? Yeah. Do I just need to deal with it Mm -hmm. and get over it? And Mm -hmm. I'm not talking about abuse or cheating or anything like that. I'm not saying that, but like always living in your feelings. And when I listen to Agnes and Ale, Mm -hmm. they present as people who are mature, who have a vision for themselves Mm -hmm. and their marriage, and they're just not as selfish as we were. Yeah, they have healthy differentiation. Like Agnes isn't upset if Ale wears his... Outside clothings, as she calls them, oh, into the yeah. house and like sleeps in the bed, and then she doesn't like it, but she can be an adult about it and be like, mm-hmm. "Hey, this is not what I prefer, but we'll figure out. You know, we can figure out a way to manage this together." Right. And I, yeah, that was actually one of the things I thought was um, it really did sort of highlight 
that uh, not only did they... So one of the things that Ale said was, our differences are pretty extreme. We're from different places, blah, blah, blah. But he said the bond of our Catholic religion connects us more than anything. And he was literally like explaining, he was defining in real time, honoring differences and promoting linkages, like right. Dan Siegel's whole thing. And um, I just thought that was really beautiful. Yeah, linkage being religion. Yeah. Differences... The clothings, you know, <laughs> well, and, and, and food and culture, yeah. even first language, right? Yeah, yeah. But they honor that because mm-hmm. they can't change that. Yeah. I thought that was really beautiful, too, when you talked about h- how am I going to only speak to her in English? There's an intimate side of me that I can't express in English mm-hmm. that is only in my native language. I just thought that was really beautiful. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. it just brought back, like, amazing memories of going to Spain. Oh, geez. So that was kind of fun. Yeah. Uh, so w- one, the the first tar- p- part of my notes is, like, posed to the question of, the question of, why can't you be like me? Oh, yeah. Right? And our marriage was rife with, why can't you be like me? Mm-hmm. Right? And I think on both sides, maybe my was more outspoken by it, but yeah. deep down, you wanted me to be like you yeah. and your family of origin mm-hmm. and be just whatever. Mm-hmm. Right? But uh, couples that do that are stifling maybe why they married that person in the first place. Oh, right? yeah. Like you, For sure. you, you, and I think you've talked about this maybe in offline conversations, but like you really liked me in the early years. <laughs> I mean, you like me now still, <laughs> but. Like something that attracted you to me was was obviously not only my accent, but like the way that I thought and the mm-hmm. way that I did things and how I acted, right? Because that was so different from your family. So if we focus on, you know, a year down the road after you're married, why can't you just do this and put the dishes there like me? Mm-hmm. Then you're really stifling and putting down one of the things that brought you together in the first yeah, place, yeah. right? Like you are unlike any Southern lady that I, well you're not southern so you were unlike any other woman that i'd met being in the south that's right <laughs> <laughs> and and it wasn't just because you had tattoos or anything like that you were very very different mm-hmm. right and i just i just knew right from divine intervention or whatever you want to call it i just knew right and there on some level you just knew it was me mm-hmm. and so for the the weird years we go back to what we know remember mm-hmm. i've talked about that a lot, we go back to our family of origin. Mm-hmm. And after some of the newness settles down, you go, oh, wait a minute. You know, this isn't, isn't mm-hmm. as cool as I thought it was. But if we can just take a minute and go, I don't want them to be like me. That's not, a, I'm not married to myself. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, and it's really all about comfort. Like it's that, uh, I remember the one time that Micah, your brother said about Skid, our dog would walk the same mm-hmm. path. And so there was a worn path down mm-hmm. the whole like Backyard. length of our property uh, that he would walk all the time. And mm-hmm. Micah said, well, they'll, they'll always take the path of least resistance. Right. And I was like, oh, that's weird. Like he's talking about the dog and mm-hmm. it's, it's worn a path. It's made a rut in our grass. Like the grass did not grow right. where Skid walked and he could have walked anywhere on our trail. half acre thing. But he walked on this one little spot. Yeah. And it makes me think of how our brains are wired for those ruts. And although we like the the like exoticism of like, oh, wow, Seth is Southern. Wow, that's so different. He, they have fireflies, like they mm-hmm. catfish and do all sorts of weird frog gigginess. And that's so exotic. Not the dating and, kind of catfish, like the real catfish. That I didn't you know that was a thing. Anyway, but so, you know, Seth did all these things that seemed so different and they're romanticized in movies and all this stuff. But then when push come to shove, I just want you to be like my dad. Like, could you just not care about something for once? Mm -hmm. Can I just get my way? Like my mom always gets her way Mm. because that would be the rut that I prefer. Right. And so I think in the beginning we were just so incredibly selfish to be like, 
you don't do something like me. I'm going to tell you about it and I want you to change it. Right. Whereas Agnes and LA were like, yeah, of course you don't do anything but like me. You're not from where I'm from. We don't right. even speak the same language, but yeah. but we like church and we'll go together. <laughs> like, yeah. And it's like, oh, that's amazing. Which is a very mature, differ- differentiated perspective. Of yeah. course, I'm sure they have disagreements and arguments and stuff. But again, from what they presented, we're just like, whoa, you guys are way up here compared yeah. to where we were. Yeah, yeah. And um, yeah, I think the sooner you can let go of like this crazy idea, like why can't you be like me? The sooner you can not carry this burden that you are unduly placing on the both of you. Absolutely. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, so if you're, if you're focusing it. on like, oh, she's not like me. Uh, so you're feeling, oh, I'm not like him. Oh, what am I going to do? Mm-hmm. And then I'm like, you know, acting dissatisfied or of course vice versa. Mm-hmm. Then I'm just making something up. I'm like getting a heap of garbage and saying, we have we shouldn't be messing with this garbage pile over here, but guess what? I'm gonna go get it and pick it up, and I'm gonna put it on both of us, uh-huh. and we're gonna we're gonna walk around with it, and we're gonna stink, and we're gonna stink. But we really should just leave it alone, right? And it gets in the way of everything else. So what you need to do is grow up, be a man, be a woman, put that garbage away, and accept your partner. Mm-hmm. And again, that, none not abusive things, That's right? Abusive things, or if like your partner is a real, you know what, then. They need to straighten up too. Yeah, so that's a whole different that's story. That's what you need to hear. Take but, heed. But I do think that sometimes people think that their differences, like that perceived threat, perceived neglect concept, I think is huge. Mm-hmm. Um, that Bridget, for example, Matt's wife, Ooh, perceived no, <laughs> Bridget is wonderful, but she does perceive um, Matt's differences as threatening to her sort of homeostasis. Like he is, in her mind, she's like, he's an idiot. He can't do this. He's mm-hmm. so blah. He's so bad at X, Y, and Z. Mm-hmm. And we see that often in couples where, and, and it tends to be the wife that is sort of really, ri- I mean, I know men can be this way too, or mm. husbands, but the wife is really rigid with, this is how we run the household. I, you know, I say where the laundry goes. I say where the cleaning detergent goes, where the shoes go, where the bottles go, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then the woman judges her husband because he because he doesn't live in her like schema of her head mm. and can't and doesn't know where everything goes. And then it becomes this this sort of like perceived threat neglect thing mm-hmm. where it's like, well, he doesn't care. He doesn't know that the bottles oh. are stacked upside down and not right side up. I like the, third the shelf. I like the language that used the, the the schema, which that's actually a clinical. I'm term. very smart. <laughs> <laughs> but it's like men or women in their own mind, mm-hmm. have a designated spot yeah. or role or purpose that their partner will fill. Mm-hmm. But guess what? It's only in their mind, yeah. right? And I can't look into your mind and it for, for some reason, like, you know, the, a, a little a kid's dollhouse or something? Yeah. Like yeah. if Hattie had a dollhouse that was open, it's like, okay, there's rooms and everything goes in there. It's like, okay, in a, in a wife's mind, the husband fits in this very particular spot. Yeah. Yeah. I have no idea what room that is or where it is but you do, mm-hmm. you know, and that doesn't mean that it's right just because you have that, mm-hmm. you know. So it's helpful for husbands and wives, partners to have conversations about this stuff, yeah. you know, and then like, okay, take the lead on something that you're way better at, you know. Yeah, for like, sure. You're terrible at some things and I'm awesome at some things. And we've talked about those not things. Not many things. I'm just kidding. <laughs> nice try. And then also vice versa, yeah. right? I'm not good at many things. Siding. And you, <laughs> just kidding. Hey. <laughs> I mean paneling. Paneling, no. Siding, yes. I can construct that. But anyway, uh, to have conversations around that and then to accept it. You know? Yeah. Don't try to do what you're not good at. Yeah. And one of the things that Matt said, the actual language he said, which I, had, I hadn't caught the first time around, was he said he was in violation of Bridget's preference code. 
Mm. And I thought that was such a cool way to language that. Like, it's just my preference code. The code of, and like the schema in my mind, the code of my outline of what I think it should be. Mm-hmm. And when you are in violation of that, it's either two things. It either means you don't have the same values around whatever the thing is, mm-hmm. and that's fine. Or I haven't been explicit in telling you my preferences. Right. Um, and so I think there's, there's just a lots of conversations that can be really loving and life-giving and helpful mm-hmm. to have around those kinds of things and our differences. Because I think often people just throw up their hands, they throw up their walls. They're like, nope, you don't care about me. You don't love me. You don't whatever, because you didn't figure out what was inside mm-hmm. of my head mm-hmm. for you that I had envisioned for you. Right. And that's terrible. So in a recent, so again, Matt and Bridget, you know, they they hopefully have changed in their marriage, you know, by now and grown and all this stuff, as we all should have grown from three years ago. Uh, They're probably different now, like Mm -hmm. in real time in 2020. And I had a conversation with Matt. I've been talking to him a lot recently. And uh, it's really interesting because for so long, I would be like offended or butthurt if you like didn't know or could not intuit that I wanted a hug. Mm-hmm. you know, or whatever. It's like, oh, I got to ask you. So since I have to ask you for one, it's not even real. So don't even bother. Right. <laughs> and this concept to me was just like so foreign. And I l- literally just like am <laughs> 15 years later grasping my mind around it to be like, oh, okay. I am in total control of my feelings, mm-hmm. of my everything. Mm-hmm. Right. Some things, obviously, you're not in control of. But for the most part, you are in control. Yeah. And if I want to hug, you will be like, sure. Yeah. And you'll if be, you tell me you want to hug. Right. Yes. And guess what? You will only think of one thing in the world, and that will be hugging mm-hmm. at the moment, right? Mm-hmm. You're fully present. Mm-hmm. But in my you know family of origin or whatever like if you had to ask for it like that then like it feels special to me when you just come up and like you know love on me or whatever you know Mm -hmm. which most people maybe like that and so i'm having to get used to like hey if i want it say it and Mm -hmm. it'll most likely happen which is great so i think a lot of people don't think that way and they get their feelings hurt or whatever blah, blah blah it's like okay if you want it say it own it go get it it's yours to do you um take ownership of that yeah yeah. right in fact i'm reading a book extreme ownership Mm -hmm. right now and it's awesome and another thing uh was oh so here's what makes a big difference i believe in our show and other shows Mm -hmm. because everybody in the world always talks about intentionality let's be intentional about our money Uh our finances are this or that right Mm -hmm. but what we don't do and i forgot who said it in the show in the show you just listened to Mm -hmm. it's intentional or maybe maybe i made it up i don't remember intentionality versus a lack of skills right because mm-hmm. everybody can be intentional about stuff oh um, but it doesn't matter how intentional less parrots said that right it doesn't matter how intentional i am mm-hmm. if i have just a sheer lack of skills yeah. and not knowing mm-hmm. then guess what i can i can want to dig a hole you know with pure 100 percent intention but if I don't have a shovel mm-hmm. and I don't have dirt to dig in, mm-hmm. I'm never going to get a hole. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So the lack of skills. I need to watch YouTube video on how to dig a hole mm-hmm. or whatever. That's yeah, a lame yeah. example. But um, And what makes our show different is we give people the tools, mm-hmm. right? The skills, the clearing structure, the millennial mm-hmm. approach to family ego mass, the what else do we have? The fight map. We've the got fight the map. Vent all, usagram. Right. All kinds of things. Uh, I think clearing structure and I statements is one, and we didn't make those the up, of course. The Get Your Marriage course. On app. The all Get Your it. Marriage On app and all these resources. The 
workbook, mm-hmm. right, that you can buy, twenty four ninety nine, <laughs> is a tool, right? Mm-hmm. Everybody wants a better marriage. I guarantee you that. Everybody wants to be healthy. They want to be um, have lower cholesterol, mm-hmm. more energy, better sleep, better sex, mm-hmm. better family time. Everybody wants that. Yeah. What we lack, what our culture doesn't teach us, is the raw, skills, proactive, yeah. real skills to do that. Yeah. And we do that. Mm-hmm. I agree. Yeah. I think that was a really powerful statement because you said, is it for a lack of intention that couples run into this problem of not knowing how to handle differences? And he said, no, it's also like they just don't lack, they have... They don't have the skill. Right. They don't have the skill set to walk through those things well. Right. And I think it's really important with differences specifically. And actually, it's always funny. I don't. I never put it in the episode why this is called Who Taught You to Hold a Knife Like That? Mm-hmm. But it came from a real time when we were at your parents' house, or actually at your grandma's, and we were very, very first married. Yeah. And um, I was, you know, minding my own business, eating Sunday brunch at Nana's, and she just was staring at me, and she just goes... <laughs> who taught you to hold a knife like that? And I'm like, really? I don't, yeah. And I, I answered like, I don't know. I just taught myself. And she just like turned away, like gr- like the most disgusted ever. Cause there's an etiquette to just holding. like Lady Grantham in oh, yeah. Downton Abbey. Abs- so that, that is Nana 100%. Um, but that's why this episode is called that is that she looked at that, like my gross display of holding a knife. How were you holding it? Like I hold a knife always. I don't know. just, I hold it with my hand. <laughs> You're going to stab something? I just don't have, I, don't, I never was taught the like, this is how you hold a fork. I mean, you were because your grandmother is English. So to mm-hmm. you, it's second nature. You think, of course, what do you mean? How do you hold a knife? Like, There's no other way. Yeah, there, there is no way to hold a knife in my mind. Like you just hold it. Right. And, um, but I just thought that was such a funny display of like sheer, like that it's disgusting yeah. how you hold your knife and who taught you to do that? <laughs> what do you mean taught me? Who taught you? I know. Let me speak to them immediately. Yeah, it was very funny. That That is, but, that is really funny. And let's see, one other thing that I wrote down that I think is like super important is, and I think I said it in the last one, but this is so like coming up over and over and over in my own life and our own mm-hmm. marriage. People, we don't get there. We don't, you're not like, okay, married 10 years, boom, baby, we got this. Mm-hmm. No, there is always going to be a different thing. And Tony Robbins says, you know, if you're not growing, you're dying. You know, mm-hmm. other people say, if you're not moving forward, you are moving backwards. Mm-hmm. There is no sitting there because if you're sitting there, you are moving backwards, mm-hmm. right? Same thing with marriage. And, you know, there, there obviously will be times where you do move backwards. Mm-hmm. There's been tons of times where we've just been like, whatever, right? You've been that way. Yeah, right. You've been that way too. <laughs> yeah, right. You're moving backwards right now. <laughs> and there's luckily, thank God, there's been more times in our marriage than we th- that we have been moving forward yeah. than backwards, right? And that is what it's about. It's a ratio, you know, a three to one ratio, move forward two times more than you move backwards and you'll be good, Yeah. right? Yeah, and I think of what you were saying is as we re-listen, it sort of helps us have this sort of, uh, what's the word? We get to contrast where we were when we made the podcast with where we are now. Right. And, and the th- imagery that comes to my mind, of course, is the way that, you know, four years ago when we were working on the show mm-hmm. and we lived in the house across the street mm-hmm. and we did we did some work on that house, but not a ton. Right. We, you know, we changed the ceiling. It had that popcorn ceiling. We took that off, you know, asbestos death ceiling. Right. We took that off. We did some aesthetic changes. We painted, we changed cabinets, but nothing huge. We mm-hmm. didn't tear up floors. We didn't tear down walls. It was, a lot of it was simple aesthetic stuff. So the amount of knowledge I had about 
houses and how they were constructed was fairly minimum because that's the house I lived in. Right. And it wasn't that in depth and I was surface level working on it. Right. Mm -hmm. So contrast that with your marriage. Like when you're first married, you think, oh, well, yeah, aesthetics of this house. This is what I know. Then we come to this house where we are literally down to studs. You go, oh, that's how water pipes work. Oh, that's what how you construct a wall. Oh, that's how you frame out a ceiling. Mm -hmm. Oh, like, so I know so much more mm -hmm. as we work through this house in so much more depth right. than we ever did at the old house. And so that's the way I imagine it is it's like, as you mature in your relationship, you begin to know more of the complexities of the structure of the relationship. As mm -hmm. we, again, with this house, we now know all of how this house works and how it's standing and how, where the weak points are and all of those things that we would have never known mm -hmm. at our old house. That's a great analogy because like you said, we took it down to the studs mm -hmm. and that is what you have to do in marriage. Mm -hmm. I think that's what you have to do in life. Yeah. I think you have to, <laughs> that was a weird sound. <laughs> I'll edit it out. You don't have to. It's funny. <laughs> the, I believe that that's what you have to do individually. You have to be brutally, painfully, raw, and scrapingly, I just made up a word, mm -hmm. scrapingly honest with yourself. And mm -hmm. then, oh, guess what? Then you can do that with another person. Mm -hmm. You can't give something that you don't have. Mm -hmm. And we often do. We approach our relationships. We approach, I would approach you in the earlier years of our marriage and be like, why aren't you fixing every single flaw with you while I was still incredibly stupid about the ways that I behaved and the things that I said and did. Um, but I wanted you to just fix your stuff and I didn't want to have to fix any of Plank mine. Guy. Plank guy. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so, I don't know. I thought that was really interesting. It, it, it really is like, the farther, the longer you stay married, the more you understand about the foundation, the walls, the insulation, the house that you have built. And I mean, like metaphoric house of marriage, I guess. Mm -hmm. You understand it all. And whether or not you're willing to work on that house will be what, if it's going to fall down or not. Whether if you're not, not willing to like jack up the foundation that's cracked and re-pour the concrete and redo the decking, your marriage is going to fall apart. That's what we did here. I know. And That's why I use that analogy. <laughs> I know. Okay, good. And here's another thing. You know, the, so your word is faithful, right? Yes. So we got into My this. My word of the year. That's right. The word of the year. And so this property that we're on right now, it's beautiful, magnificent, three and a half acres. It's covered in snow. Looking out the window, it's beautiful right now. I worked on getting it for four years. Mm -hmm. Four years, right? And we've only been in it for not even four months, mm -hmm. correct? So guess what? We were faithful in that. And now that we're even in it, mm -hmm. are all of our dreams coming true? No. <laughs> There's rats mm -hmm. still, right? Yes. We're getting the ants under control. Mm -hmm. So guess what? In your marriage, you take it down to the bare bones. You start to build up. Mm -hmm. You're faithful. And that doesn't mean that you're there. Mm -hmm. Oh, we're here. Oh, it's warm. It's nice. It's blah, blah, blah. No. Oh, we got stupid ants in the yeah. shower. Thousands of them, <laughs> right? So that can be another thing. And guess what? We've accepted that we've had ants. Uh, um, that sounded weird. But it's like, okay, I'm not going to lose my crap over yes. ants yeah. or a rat, you know? Mm -hmm. Although, I mean, it's, although it's gross yeah. and taxing, it's like, oh, I just want to watch a show. Oh, what's that great sound? Oh, it's a rat <laughs> gnawing on something on the outside, Yeah, right? And that's what, I think that's a great analogy as, as the word faithful is my word of the year and how I want to live out this next season of my life. I think that exact same concept with relationship issues, like, yeah, we did. We sit down to watch a TV show and we hear a rat gnawing on the house. Does mm -hmm. that mean that we should burn the whole house down? No. No. But in relationships, 
Is that what people do when their partners do something they don't approve of? Yes. yes. They think, this is the worst. And they cross their arms and they call their friends and they complain mm-hmm. about everything. And they tell their their girlfriends how terrible their husband is. And it's right. like, no, just chill. Be normal. Just chill. Be faithful. Be easy. Like, yeah. do not... Do not burn down the house right. for a and couple then, of rats. And then have a level-headed standard around it. So if your husband is doing something stupid, like a, you know, or if your wife is doing something stupid, say, "Hey, these are my boundaries. Mm-hmm. I don't like this. You are not going to treat me this way. You do it if you want to. Mm-hmm. Understand that that is going to bring less connection with us, mm-hmm. less good times for us, less um, intimacy, less everything, right?" Yeah. And hopefully the other person will be like, oh, okay, yeah, I get it. So like with the rat thing, um, obviously we don't want a rat in yeah. the wall, right? Mm-hmm. And so we we identified it. We didn't lose our crap over it. Mm-hmm. We're like, this is really annoying for the you know third time that we've heard it. Yeah. And we do something about it. Call the exterminator. Let's do this. Yeah. Let's do this. So we're doing something about it. And on the third or fourth time that we heard the rat, we were kind of like laughing. Yeah. You know, because yeah. we're like, are you kidding me? Mm-hmm. And then we're like, this is a test. Yeah. How are we going to be How faithful Are we going to pass this test? Yeah. Right? And we haven't heard it in a while. I think we got that sucker. Hopefully. <laughs> Hopefully. But if we do hear it tonight when we sit down and watch a show, yeah. if we even have time for that, yeah. and we hear it, I promise you, I will start cracking up. Yeah. And be like, we got this. There it is. You know, yeah. I'm going to be patient until yeah. that little rat goes and finds that rat poison it's a big and eats rat. it and then goes away. Yeah, it's a possum rat. But. Yeah. Yeah, but I, I do think that there's a lot to be said in that and that that was never a mindset that we even knew we could have until we were tested. A faithful mindset? Um, a faithful mindset, but also like doing it, like having that mentality of I will get over this thing, whatever it is, whether that's differences, like this whole episode is all about differences. So mm-hmm. I will get over this difference that Seth and I have with one another well, like mm-hmm. Uh, we are differences of how we are, how we keep a home. We are ve- we could not be more opposite in how we keep a home. Mm-hmm. You throw stuff wherever you would live like your brother. Not true. Like, yeah, very true. The kids even know it. Don't even fake yourself. But I don't live that way. And for years and years, I would just complain and fight and argue and cry and complain and fight and argue and cry over and over and over because I wasn't, I wasn't under the impression that I could walk through that difficulty well. I just thought, well, the only thing I know how to do is complain and fight and cry. Mm-hmm. And so that's what I did until Several I realized. Several times you said, this is my life. Yeah, it was my life. Um, but um, you know what I mean? Like I didn't know there was another way to go through that. Right. And so I want to, I guess, use that concept as an encouragement for people that if you're very different from your partner, that's fine. That's actually one of the things that brought you together. Right. But you can handle those differences with a lot of faithfulness that is not negative, not like, this is my life, because that's what I used to say to Seth. Oh, I'm supposed to live like this? Mm-hmm. You know, like I would get so mad at him and just be like, well, okay, the garbage dump house. Right. Fine, we're the rednecks on the street, garbage dump house. And uh, and I would not walk through that well. But it's a difference that I didn't need to get upset about, right. but I was upset about. And so you had to first identify that and accept yeah. it and go, oh, I am this way. What are my flaws? Yeah. And then cultivate a new thinking around that, right? So right now I'm doing a thing called the 75 hard, which I'm doing a lot of stuff that I don't want to do, right? But it's making me, mm-hmm. yeah, I'll wrap it up, but it's making me create like literally new neural pathways, oh, yeah. right? Yeah. So what would it look like? Because I promise you, this is just how it goes. We're guilty of it too. Everybody's going to listen to this podcast and go, oh yeah, they're so right. I shouldn't do this and do that. You know, they're going to be intentional about it, uh-huh. but here's the skills around it. You take these things that we're saying and if they resonate with you and you want to 
implement those and be those, mm-hmm. emulate these things, then do something hard on a consistent basis mm-hmm. that you normally don't do, mm-hmm. right? So we can we can start a, a 75 hard marriage challenge or something. No complaining for the next seven days. Mm-hmm. Suck it up. Or if you have a complaint, write it o- in your journal. Right, instead. and own your own crap. Mm-hmm. Own your own crap. Yeah, and right? that, that's another thing too is I think being fa- part of that being faithful process was I don't need to give all my thoughts and feelings to Seth every minute of every day. Right. I do not need to do that. And if Seth did that to me, I'd be like, get out and quit talking to me. I have my own thoughts and feelings, but I was doing that to you. Right. And so like, even around our differences, I was pr- all in the past was just constantly like, you're different from me. Why would you put your shoes like that? You're different from me. Why would you park your car like that? Why mm-hmm. would, you know, and I was constantly criticizing you, like Matt said, like the one to 100 ratio of Bridget to Matt's comp. Oh, the uh, card deck. Yeah. Thing. The yeah. Um, criticism cards. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and that was just one thing that was so helpful for me as I've been walking through this sort of new word, new year faithfulness journey is journaling out my frustration as opposed to vomiting it on my husband right. every day. And for a few for a few days, I was really quiet. And Seth was like, what is wrong? And I'm like, nothing is wrong. But if you keep asking me, I'm going to start vomiting my criticism well, that wasn't out on even you. true because something was wrong. Because I like, you know, the normal baseline for Melanie is not to Nothing talk to me. Nothing was wrong. Thought. I was processing it. Okay. I was processing it. Nothing was wrong. It was changing a neural pathway. You were used to me complaining at you. Thanks for not. Yeah. But, <laughs> but anyway, I think right. that that's a really important thing to think about and talk about and think through as you work through these difference, this differences idea, this right. differences episode. Hopefully you're working through the workbook and you're talking about the differences with your partner. In the workbook, there's so many great pointed questions to like, what are some of your huge differences? What are the things that have been really hard to work through? Mm-hmm. And give and use this podcast and the workbook as an opportunity to talk about your differences in neutral in a neutral way where you're not fighting. It's not like, well, he parked the car weird. Now I'm going to fight. Like it's right. not that. It's... Let's talk about this when we're calm. It's like the car ride that you and I have in this podcast throughout all the episodes. It's look back at it reflectively with a kind heart, with a mature heart, like Agnes and Ale. Like just look at it like, you know. Here would be a really good exercise for people. And I'm going to fuss at people, but also encourage them here in the next minute. So if, if you're serious and intentional about improving your marriage, Take 10 minutes before you listen to the show. Just meditate, journal, whatever. Just like get in a quiet spot. You mean listen to the next show? And No, no. Just as people listen to episodes of the show. Take 10 minutes, chill out, get your brain right, listen to the show, and then take another 10 minutes after that, and then go get the workbook, people. You have over 300 free episodes of stuff, of tools, of, of wisdom here, mm-hmm. and real-life situations, and for... Uh, buying a workbook, you buy more coffee in two days than you know the workbook cost easily. So if you're if you're really intentional, then I I challenge you and charge you to go spend twenty five dollars on this workbook. Take ten minutes, listen to the show, go through the workbook. Take mm-hmm. ten minutes, do that every day, and your marriage will yeah. change. And the workbook absolutely. is digital; you can print it off and write in it like longhand yeah. if you enjoy that. But it's also digital. People, if you're serious, do it. Uh, like Dave Ramsey says, uh, paint or get off the ladder. That's where I am <laughs> right now. I've never heard him say that. I think that's paint so or funny. get off the ladder because other people that want to paint will get up there and paint that yeah. stinking wall. Yeah, I agree. But thank you so much for hanging out with us. I 
going through this season is just such a joy to me. I could not be happier. I love it so much. High five. Um, and I'm really hoping that it helps marriages, helps people, helps relationships. And if it does, please do us three favors. I want you to rate and review the show on iTunes. Leave a review, please. It is so... People don't care what we think about our own podcast, y'all. They... Right. Oh, you have a podcast. Wow. No. But if you say please listen to this podcast. It's so amazing. It's changed my life. It's changed my marriage, whatever. They will go listen. So right. please leave a rating and review of the show. Um, the second one is share the show. Share it with your friends. Like Tell your church group about it. This is an impactful thing that's really helpful, and we want lots of marriages to be helped, lots of families to be transformed. So share the show, rate the show. And then the third thing is... There are a couple things. Go get the workbook. Go to patreon.com forward slash anatomy of marriage. Join the mastermind. We have resources out there, y'all. It's your fault if you have a bad marriage make it better be intentional we love you guys you got anything else girlfriend no i don't know all right all right (laughs) right. have a good week guys have a good day Bye. bye